Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Throughout the day today, we've been taking your travel horror stories, what you've been dealing with coming out of the pandemic and trying to go somewhere. And uh, we have one for you. Bob and Catherine Roberts reached out to the station early this morning. I talked to them a little bit about it, and I honestly just feel for them. Bob and Catherine, uh, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me. Oh, good afternoon, Jim. How are you? I'm very well, Bob, and, and, and Catherine, too. And I thank you for sharing your story, because when we were talking this morning, I kind of just, I not only wanted to help you, but I wanted to put my arm around you both and give you a hug because this has been uh, just a traumatic couple of weeks for you. And I guess, Bob, we'll just start with you. You were off to Dublin in the middle of May and and, uh, things just didn't go right. Let us know the details. No, they they really did turn Uh, pear-shaped. We we traveled on a WestJet flight um, on May 15th via Toronto. We were going to uh, spend a few days in Dublin and then on to a seven-day Norwegian um, cruise to celebrate my wife's birthday. Um, Winnipeg was the last time we saw our bag. We didn't make the connection in, um, in Toronto because the Winnipeg to Toronto flight was late and WestJet decided to strand us along with about 15 other passengers from our, our flight that were going to Dublin. Um, they stuck us in Toronto overnight. And when we rebooked, WestJet never told us of our compensation rights regarding late arrivals. But when we asked the WestJet baggage officer about our bag, we were told it would be put onto our next flight. Well, that was the first lie that we got from them. On the next day, we checked in for the rebooked flight, asked about our bag again, and it's on the, it's on the flight, sir, lie number two. We asked again at the gate, about the bag. Lie number three. Finally, arrived in Dublin on Tuesday 17, a day late. No bag. We posted a report on an airport uh, kiosk that gave us a reference number. We went back to the airport the next day, interrupting our holiday. Spoke to the local Aer Lingus rep there. He said, quote, there's hundreds of bags back there, sir. Nobody's doing anything to move them. We went shopping for clothes for our cruise. Never heard from WestJet until we got home. Came home on May 31st, checked in at Winnipeg WestJet baggage desk. Phil at uh, the Winnipeg airport said, oh, it'll be on the flight we just got off from Toronto. Lie number four. He said, reading from his terminal, it'll be on tomorrow's flight. I'll phone you. Lie number five. Next day, June the 1st, we went back to the airport together. Same baggage desk, spoke to a fellow there called Matthew. He didn't know who Phil was. We asked to speak to a superior. He said he was the duty manager. And that we should claim on our insurance, suggesting we should defraud our insurance for WestJet's loss. June 4th, line number six, coming up. Can I just can I just interrupt you there for a minute, Bob? They told you to to sort of lie on your insurance. Well, they didn't, but they were suggested I should claim on my insurance. But you know, right, I don't okay. claim on my insurance unless it's my loss. You know. Yes, exactly. No, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, go on to number six. So lie number six was June fourth, and we got a message from WestJet saying, "Quote: We found your bag. 
and are preparing it for delivery. Five days later, still no bag. June the 9th, yesterday. WestJet sent another message saying, cannot find a record of that reference number and surname uh, combination. So I would really like to hear, well, first of all, from WestJet, but I'd also like to hear from any of the other 15 or 20 people that were bounced off the flight to Dublin in Toronto so that we can launch a possible group small claims court action against WestJet. Well, Bob, I can tell you this. There was a lady who did call into the morning show the start today that similar story. I think she was on the same flight of yours, but I'm not I'm yeah. not sure. And we know and we know of her. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. she was on the same flight and the exact same thing happened. She's been back here too and still no luggage. Yeah. Exactly. And we don't have one either. No. Right. And you can't you cannot get a hold of anyone at WestJet. We were on the phone in Dublin for hours. No one answers the phone. Their chat line is a bot. You get all you get is an answer from a bot, which cannot, you know, bot can't help us with this problem. And no one has responded. Like we just have had no luck getting a hold of WestJet. It's just really frustrating. Our bag has to be sitting somewhere. Next and week will be a month since you've lost your luggage. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And yeah. you've gone to Ireland, you've been on a cruise, you're now home and you still don't have your stuff, and it's reaching about a month. And I think the worst part of the story, and, and look, this is there's a lot of bad parts of this, Bob and Catherine, but what I'm hearing for you now is, the, and, and this morning when I talked to you, the most extreme frustration of all of this is they you've stopped actually hearing from them, and they told you that the actual reference number they've been searching for this whole time does not exist now. Yeah, that's yeah. what they told us yesterday when I logged in to have a look, you know, it said, oh, that cannot find that reference number and name. But a week ago, that reference number worked okay. Yeah, and the day before it worked, and it said, still said, you know, we found your bag preparing it for delivery. I'm not sure what they have to do to prepare it for delivery. You know, it takes five days. <laughs> anyway. Can I do a hypothetical with you both and say, sure. say two days from now, your luggage arrives. How would okay. you, how would you feel? Well, we'd be ecstatic. Yes, I would be very happy. Absolutely ecstatic. You know, I mean, we're still going to be uh, we're still going to be pressing them for uh, compensation for the late arrival in um, in Dublin, and also for our um, missed bookings, etc., that we uh, couldn't do in um, in Dublin. But uh, as far as the um, you know, getting our clothes and all of the you know the items that we're in, we had some gifts that we we're going to leave with friends in the UK. And, you know, and those are still floating around in the airline world somewhere, but um, not where they were supposed to be. Yeah. And all our clothes for the cruise, you know, we had to run out the day before and buy just whatever, you know, whatever we could find to buy. Because all our clothes that we had packed for the cruise are in that suitcase. And oh, it was horrendous. You know, my poor wife, I felt so sorry for her because it was her birthday cruise. And, you know, ladies like to dress up to a certain standard when they're having dinner on a cruise. Well, you know, we had a selection of seven T-shirts and, <laughs> you know, seven pairs of slacks, you know. It, it just didn't have the right feel. Well, Catherine, and I'm, I'm just going to try and use some humor because I know this is emotional for you. I Hopefully on your birthday you had a shirt that said, I tried to travel to Dublin with my luggage and all I got was a shirt. 
<laughs> you know, that's so appropriate. That would, be a, good that yeah. would have been a good thing to wear. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I really hope that you hear from WestJet. I'm going to reach out to them too for you. Just send an email. That's, I mean, I, I as you said, there's no one really answering. Um, but I'll see if they can not only just help find it, but if we can get an answer for you here. But I really appreciate sharing your story, and, and hopefully this helps you. And if anybody else reaches out to us that was on that flight, I will forward that on to you as well. Well, well thank you very much, yeah. Jim. And, um, you know, thank we do you. appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can reach out to the people that were also stranded that, that dreadful night in Toronto, you know, because we know there were 15 to 20 of them. Yeah. That were denied boarding on the connecting flight. Right. And we know, like, Nicola was in the exact same situation as us, and yeah. she still is without her pass. Right. So, for sure. Well, thanks. the the best to you both. Thank you for sharing. I'm sorry I got to go, but we will. We, this yeah, won't end here. Ahead. I'll try and help you as much as we can, and we will here at CGOB all try and help you as much as you can and anybody else out there. Thank you for sharing your story. And if it means anything, happy belated birthday, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you very Thanks much. Thank you very much, and go Bombers, go. There you go. you got a game to watch in those uh, seven T-shirts that you still have. Bob and Catherine Roberts, what a story. Bomber home opener tonight, pregame with Derek Taylor. Doug Brown, I think Ed Tate's going to be joining them. 5.30 on the station, kickoff at 7.30. Ed Tate's going to join me an hour from now. We'll tee up all the festivities, the banner raising, and talk a little bit about this matchup between uh, Paul Apolise and the Ottawa Red Blacks and Michael Shea and the Bombers uh, coming off back-to-back titles. So many people pouring in um, with uh, my last guests, uh, Bob and Catherine Roberts, who went to Dublin, uh, supposed to be a big birthday trip, and just lost their luggage on the 15th, uh, delayed to the 17th. They're back. It'll be a month next week since they left, and they still don't have their luggage. I will say this. Joanne, who reached out to us on Jets at Noon a couple of weeks ago, um, that was delivering Cam's luggage that was lost, has reached out. Um, and she's on her way to the airport, and Joanne has texted again. Uh, and she has offered to uh, get in touch with Bob and Catherine and uh, we'll have a look at the airport for their bags specifically. So Joanne is just a great person, and, and this wasn't trying to bash WestJet. It was just trying to get these people their luggage back, and I really appreciate Joanne, who when we were talking about Cam's honeymoon and how he lost his luggage, Joanne texted the station. She listens every day, I think, on her way to and from work at the airport, and she was delivering Cam's luggage as we were talking about it, but she's just such a wonderful woman. She's reached out now that she'll get in contact with Bob and Catherine and, and have a look for their bags specifically today if if the bags are in Winnipeg. So we really appreciate that, Joanne, and I commend her, not only a loyal listener, but just a really nice lady. So we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, speaking of traveling, my next guest did a little bit. Janelle Palouk is a City of Winnipeg paramedic who volunteered with the Canada Medical Assistance Team. How are you today, Janelle? I'm well. How are you? Good. You didn't have trouble traveling when you went to Ukraine, did you? I did not, actually. <laughs> I had no trouble at all. Thanks. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me today. Uh, are your city of Winnipeg paramedic? Um, I used to be. I actually work for Stars Air Ambulance now. Right. Okay. I wanted to clarify that because I knew that you you had started with Stars, but I or we're going to Stars. I didn't know if you had started yet or not. But congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you because you volunteered with Canada Medical Assistance Team to go to Ukraine to help do what you do. Tell us about how this came about and uh, why you volunteered. 
So this came about, I had actually created a profile with Canadian Medical Assistance Team several years ago, hoping to deploy. Uh, they typically deploy to natural disasters, so hurricanes, um, earthquakes, that sort of thing, uh, in areas that need medical assistance. Uh, so this is their first deployment to a conflict zone, and uh, they put out an expression of interest um, when everything first started, and I responded to it. They actually had me on the first team to go out, but of course I couldn't really make it work with my schedule. So after some um, moving things around and getting everything in order, all my ducks in a row, I was able to head out there in um, the middle of April. So where? So where did you? No, I'm sorry, I cut you off. (laughs) I apologize. So where did you go specifically, and and tell us about the work you did. So we stayed in a town that was about 30 minutes from the border in um, eastern Poland because we weren't able to stay in Ukraine um, for insurance purposes. And we crossed over into the border into Ukraine every day. So that would have been the western side of the country. And at the border, we ran a medical clinic. So it was mostly primary care, helping folks that were traveling from the east and had left things like their um, prescription medications at home and required them, and then also other things like simple wellness checks, um, baby checks. Um, And then we also had teams that would travel a little bit further into the country and run mobile clinics, mobile primary care clinics for folks that were displaced internally. So, for example, we would set up a clinic at a college dorm that was um, vacant because there's no school happening right now in Ukraine. And they had about 150 folks that were displaced from the eastern part of the country. And we would set up a clinic and um, just run primary care for those folks who had none there uh, since they were displaced. What was it like? Uh, It's funny. Um, Ukraine is very much identical to Manitoba in a lot of ways. So there was this very bizarre contrast of driving through the country and it looking almost exactly like driving through rural Manitoba. And then you would get through to different military checkpoints where they would have um, sandbags um, built up on the road and hedgehogs that are like anti-tank big pieces of metal and you have to go through these military barricades while you're driving through something that looks very similar to Manitoba. So the parts that we were in, there's not um, any warfare, thankfully, happening there, but um, definitely uh, signs that there is war in the country. Now, this is a a weird question, but were you thankful for that or were you kind of hoping to be more closer to it, which I know is a weird thing because who wants to be closer to it? But on the other hand, that's kind of why you volunteered for this, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, actually. And I I think the answer um, to that is both. I was very thankful to be safe, and I think my family was very thankful that I was safe. Um, But just doing the job that I do in everyday life, I do have a little bit higher of a risk tolerance, I think. And and it certainly would have been nice to get a little bit closer. Um, But I say that now from sort of the point of view where I was safe. Uh, It's hard to say. Um, how I would have felt being a little bit closer. Yes, and I know when I talked to you prior to the interview that you said that this was something you'd always wanted to do but never had done. This was your first trip with Canada Medical Assistant Team, and and um, this is the first time they've gone to, quote-unquote, a war zone. They're usually at natural disasters. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so then what prompted you to do this? Um. Like I had said kind of when we spoke before, I I don't really know what prompted me other than we were watching the um, invasion on February 24th. Of course, it was all over the news. We were watching it at work, and it just kind of 
dawned on us, like we all said, I hope or I wish that we could go and help over there. And I just think that I'm a helper and I have a certain skill and a certain talent that I've honed over the years and uh, it's important in this world. And so if I can go share that in other parts that are needing it at the time or even with the civilians here in Manitoba, um, it's kind of my duty to go and just be the helper that I am. So along with those lines, I also wanted to ask you that because I, I, I think that you did it because you're a good person. I know that. And I know you have a little <laughs> bit of Ukrainian heritage. Did that play into it a little bit as well? Um, maybe a little bit, but I think if I had the opportunity to go to any country and do what I did, I would jump at that opportunity as well. So what was it like being there and doing what you were doing? Because I know your husband's a paramedic too and, and probably mostly supportive of your career, but also he was back here and sort of a little apprehensive. What was the whole time there like uh, with, with you and your husband, who understands the work you do more than anybody, but also probably uh, was a little bit worried about you? Yeah, and I think that's natural. I think everybody in my life was a little bit worried just because it's a lot unknown until you get there and you see and feel how safe you truly are. Um, but he is like my biggest supporter in everything, every crazy idea that I have. Um, there maybe is some hesitation inside for him, but uh, never would he ever like ex- say that explicitly to me um so it it was i mean i'm sure it was harder for him than it was for me being there but we were able to be in contact every single day i was able to text message facetime um it was really just like being in on any other trip oh that's good to know uh now tell us about some of the stories that you were telling me about because um they're literally these families that are separated and and while you were doing this work uh, you would see some some reuniting during the days and and everything there with the people from ukraine yeah so there's uh lots of families that are separated lots of men that have sent their um, families to safety in other countries and then have to remain in ukraine and so because we were placed at the border we would often see lots of folks milling about um, waiting. So, for example, um, if a family with wife and children were over in Poland where it's safe, they may cross the border back into Ukraine, which would take many, many hours uh, just to visit with whomever that was, whether it's um, the father, husband, brother, um, whomever. And so we would bear witness to that daily. Did anything surprise you over there from what you thought you would be expecting, being that it was the first time that you'd volunteered for this? Um, Did anything surprise me? I think I was a little bit surprised at how normal everyday life is for both the Polish and the Ukrainians on both sides of the border. Um, You know, they just have such a strong resolve and they are still... Lots of them are still smiling. They're happy to to have us there. They're trying to feed us. They're just like the most lovely, strong, courageous um, folks that are just trying to go about their everyday lives. Would you do it again? 100%. Excellent. Wow. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I I admire you for doing it, and I, I think they probably needed a lot of your help over there. How many people went with you from Canada? Um, Our team was, I believe, eight or nine people, and then they've been rotating teams through since, um, since basically this all started. So the beginning of March, they started rotating teams through on about a two week basis. I think they're probably on their seventh team by now. And how long were you there for? Two weeks, I think it is, was it not? Uh, Just over two weeks. Yeah, I was there 18 days.
Well, thank you, Janelle. You're a good person. Like I said, I think that's the basis of why you did it, even though you said you didn't know. And I, I, I appreciate your honesty about that because I think a lot of times when people do this, it's out of a need to help. But yet the idea of going to a war doesn't really make sense. There's just that drive to do it. And, and I think it's because you're a good person. So thank you for sharing the story and thank you for going over there. And I wish you all the best with your career at Stars Air Ambulance. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and letting me speak about this. Two thirty-two, three hours away. Wait a minute, three thirty-four. Three. Yeah, three hours away from the pregame show here on six eighty CJOB with Derek Taylor, Doug Brown. I think Ed Tate will be there as well throughout the show, as he always is. From BlueBombers.com, senior writer, reporter, also with Valor FC. Ed, how are you? Fantastic, Jim. How are you, man? Doing very well. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, what's it like right now? Three hours away from pregame, five hours away from kickoff. What, what's the vibe to, uh, around the stadium right now? It's pretty much business as usual. And I know that's going to make some people roll their eyes, but that's exactly the way Mike O'Shea wants it to be. Um, a lot of these guys have said in the last few days that uh, they're not talking about three-peat, even though it comes up all the time. Uh, they got their Grey Cup rings, 2021s in the rearview mirror, and it's time to go. So, uh, again, maybe a bit cliche, but uh, head down, business as usual, punch the clock, do the job sort of thing. Whether it was opening night or not, I suggest they never bring up the word dynasty. It seems to spark a lot of controversy, uh, at least on this station today. It did for sure is what it entails. But that is what they're looking at, uh, Ed. And and really, this is an opportunity uh, now that the drought is over and back-to-back championships to really put your stamp not only on another CFL season and, and potentially a championship, but really in the history books, if they could sort of you know continue this run they've been on for the past two seasons, albeit a COVID uh, non-season in between there. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Jim, because we get so caught up in the next game is the most important game and that whole thing that I think it's important for everybody to take a step back and just appreciate sort of the era we're in right now. Um, the Bombers have never won three in a row as a franchise. The last time they were in a position to do so was 1963 after winning in 61 and 62. So that's how rare it is. It's only Edmonton won five in a row from 1978 to 82. There's only been two teams that went back to back since then, Toronto in uh, the late 90s and Montreal in 20, 2009 and 10. So we're really in rare territory. And then you start to kind of factor in some other things. The club is 19 and one in their last 20 games at IG Field. Like this is a pretty amazing era we're in right now. And I think sometimes we do need to kind of Again, step back and soak that all in because it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and that's why I think it's a great time for Bomber fans because you've been around yep. um, uh, around the team and around the CFL a lot longer than I have. But in my time here, it, this has been a long time coming. And, and I wonder sometimes is um, because of the pandemic and some of the things people have gone through, if and I know there are a ton of diehard Blue Bomber fans that have, but I wonder if the, the casual fan... Um, has embraced this sort of, it's a great time to be a Blue Bomber fan. Well, I think we start to see a little bit more of that, Jim. We saw it even last year. I mean, our attendance was down around the league, but it was really solid here in Winnipeg. And, you know, like it's going to be a perfect night here tonight. I think that, you know, I, I use my sons as an example. They're both in their 20s. 
And my youngest son's going to the game tonight with a bunch of his buddies, and it's it's become kind of a cool thing to do. And that's the important demographic for all teams in the CFL to to kind of attract is those young guys that are making some money and want to go out and just have a good time. And if the team wins, that's a bonus. So, um, you know, perfect night. It's uh, it's it's kind of ideal. And I, I think those are the fans that this team has to to attract. And I, you make a good point. It's hard to quantify whether they're on board, but our season tickets are up. Corporate sales are up. There's a lot of good things going on with this team right now. And you hope that that can spread across the league too. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I, I agree with you. I think that 20 to 30, 30, 20 to 35 range is the demo that really needs to start focusing on and attracting to the Canadian Football League game. So uh, off topic, I'll ask you this. Are you going to be watching the game or are you going to keep one eye on that rum hut because your son will be there with his friends? And make sure <laughs> he's so representing many- the Tate family correctly. <laughs> There'll be so many people down there. I don't know if I'll be able to pick them out. It's- it's funny because uh, both my guys go to the games once in a while, and uh, the next day I'll ask them, well, what would you think of that play or that touchdown? And a lot, a lot of times it's, I didn't see that. I was at the rum hut. So um, <laughs> that's part of the fun, though, right? That's part of why it's a, it's a great uh, place to see a game because you can sit there and, and get in line for a drink and still be watching the game because of the way the concourses are built. So, uh, you know, the tailgate's going to be fun. All those things make it – it really is a, an event – 10 times a year when the Bombers are at home and, you know, when the team has won 19 of the last 20, um, that just kind of is the icing on the cake for a lot of people that, that go to the games just to be entertained. Yeah, I'll get into I agree with you. I'll get into the matchup tonight, but I want to first ask, and I asked this to Derek Taylor at noon on Jets at Noon when he joined Cam Poitras and I, but who has the advantage tonight between Paul Apolis and Mike O'Shea? And I know both men will say it's not about us, it's about the team. But in reality, it's two men that know each other very well and how they think trying to call plays against each other. Yeah, I never thought of that. That's an interesting question about who would have the advantage. I guess I'm not sure about the, the chess match, so to speak, the, the coaching, you know, you make this move, I'll counter with this side of, sort of thing. I mean, I, I, I mean, speaking from an obvious bias here, I think the, that Winnipeg has an advantage because their personnel is more known to their coach and their coordinators and they can – and maybe, you know, not be as vanilla in their first few game weeks in, in their game planning as maybe Ottawa will be as they welcome so many new people to their lineup. So I might give the advantage uh, to Winnipeg on that because it's the same, essentially the same coaching staff working with primarily the same roster. So um, that, that's one thing to look at it. But you know that Lapo is going to have a wrinkle or two that he thinks he's discovered that he can take advantage of, especially on offense. Uh, but Michael Shea's staff's pretty solid too, and uh, I think they'd be prepared for any kind of to, to deliver any kind of counterpunch that uh, Lapo and his bunch might have. For sure, roster-wise, how do you see this game matching up tonight? Well, I mean, Ottawa has done an amazing job in fixing a roster that was terrible last year. They were three and eleven. You look at their depth chart now, and it's it's completely made over in a quarterback too with Jeremiah Mazzoli. He's given the Bombers some trouble in the past because he's so tough to bring down and he can move around the pocket. But I mean, it's hard not to like the Bombers. Everybody's picking them for a reason. They've won the last two cups and they returned so many people um, from, from the last two championships that it's hard not to look at them as the favorites. And again, at home too, opening at home is going to be important. Um, you know, I, I, the betting line has moved an awful lot in the last little while. It seems like a lot of people are putting money on Ottawa because the line has come down. But, um, I mean, the Bombers at home, the way they're playing, 
uh, at home in the last couple of years, it, it's hard to bet against them right now. What's the betting line, Ed? You can bet on sports now? <laughs> I'm just it was, kidding. You know, it was nine and a half. Uh, the Bombers favored by nine and a half earlier in the week, and the last I checked, it was down to seven and a half, which means there's quite a few people that are were liking that line and, and put some money on Ottawa. Yeah, you know what, Ed? I just checked it. It's down to six. Uh, six and a half. Go. So there we go. Is uh, get in on it now if you are uh, one of those few people that didn't know that you could bet on uh, sports right now. You can do so <laughs> as well. Maybe playnow.com here in Manitoba. Um, going forward here, Ed, what can people expect tonight? Like if people are listening to this, and I know it's a beautiful night and everything else, but the, the it's a great thing to take in tonight because there's more than just the game going on with the banner and everything else. Uh, let our listeners know um, some of the other things that they can take in when they get down to the ballpark tonight to take the game in. Yeah, it really is a big kind of package. It's fun. If you, you know, there's lots of people that tailgate, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of them wouldn't mind a stranger walking up wanting to join in. So those things are fun. There's the, the uh, tailgate area um, just between the stadium and the University of Manitoba. That's got, you know, usually live music, and that's where the CGOB pregame show is done. Um, and then there's five dollar beers before kickoff, I believe. There's, you know, cheap hot dogs before kickoff. And if you get into your seats, that's what the the club is encouraging everybody to be seated by 7:30. Then you'll get to see the the Grey Cup banner, which was unveiled last year for the home opener. They had to redo it again, thankfully, after winning another ch- uh, championship. So that will be done too. And then it's just a fun night. Look, the, the, we've had such a a crappy spring. It's nice to see everything. So it's it's absolutely perfect. It's like the the sun is shining on this franchise now. And um, what a better way to there's not many better ways to spend a Friday night than in South Winnipeg at IG Field. Yeah, and if people are listening, for a sales pitch. <laughs> that's fair. that's pretty good. Best one I've heard, <laughs> and and really, I, I I don't think it needs much of one. If you're a Bomber fan, and if you're not a Bomber fan, if you're just a proud Manitoban, this is a great way to spend a real nice, beautiful Friday evening to sort of take in a bit of history with the banner going up and and uh, another start to the CFL season. How can people go about getting tickets if they're just listening to this and go, ah, you know what? Let's do this. Let's get down to tonight's game. I think the easiest thing for me to say is just to go to bluebombers.com and you'll find all the information you need. And while you're there, you could take a look at a couple of stories that we've put up and videos too. So that's your one-stop shop for everything Bombers. Exactly. I'm excited and you must be too, Ed. It's always a great time of the year for you and, and everybody else at the organization, but all the people covering the game and the fans as well. There's a lot of excitement, isn't there? Uh, it's fun. It, you know, when this stadium first opened in 2013, the team wasn't very good. And so there were a lot of long nights and long days at the stadium. You know, you Bomber fans, thankfully the diehards were there to cheer it on. But we're really in, again, I keep repeating myself, but we're kind of in an historic time. And and there's a lot of excitement about this team. There's a lot of people across this league that are picking the Bombers as the favorite again. And there's a lot of fans grinding their teeth and are saying, anybody but Winnipeg, please win the Great Cup this year. So it's kind of an enviable position to be in. And again, it's just all part of the package and why it makes it so much fun to, to cheer for this team right now after some dark years. Indeed. And if you are in the pregame tonight, I have bumped Derek Taylor at 2.30 right now to have you on, so you can bring that up by all means. <laughs> now, we had him on Jets at noon, but I still, I said, I'm, I'm bumping you for Ed Tate. So you have that on him tonight on the pregame all with right, Doug I'll, as well. I'll bring it up. Thanks very much, Ed. Enjoy the game tonight, by the way. I mean, I know it's an exciting time for the whole organization and all the fans, so it should be a great night, and thanks for doing this. 
Appreciate you having me on, Jim. Take care, man. Anytime, my friend. Uh, Ed Tate, at Ed Tate, WFC on Twitter. And as he said, bluebombers.com, one of our city's and province's finest sports writers. A lot of great content up at bluebombers.com and also on Valor, um, but most of it around the Bomber Home Opener tonight.